Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Manchester City look unstoppable. Foden, Foden on a hat-trick! What a hat-trick! What a player! Phil Foden! Victory over Brentford on Monday was their ninth consecutive win across all competitions. Win all their games and Pep Guardiola's side will be champions. But is their fourth Premier League title in a row already set in stone? Or are there enough flaws in this City team for the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool to believe? I'm Ayo Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. OK, let's get into this one. My penultimate Athletic Football Podcast of this week. We have the Athletics data expert, Tom Harris, Manchester United writer, Carl Anker, and representing Tottenham, we've got Charlie Eccleshare as well. Gents, welcome to the pod. I don't know if it was me, but Phil Foden scoring a hat-trick away at Brentford and Manchester City yet again galloping forward at a pivotal time, felt a bit like Groundhog Day. So this podcast really is about breaking it down to see if there are actually any flaws to Manchester City striding on to win their fourth Premier League in a row. Historic as well, let's not forget. Right, Tom, let's crunch the numbers. City potentially have a, a bit of a, a quirk in their defence. Yeah, this is a really weird one. I'm, I'm actually coming at this from a Man City fan perspective. Um, so just to get that out there from the start of the episode... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's quite a frustrating thing that City seem to concede from their first shot on target in, in most games that they play. So it's happened 12 times this season already. Happened at Brentford on Monday when, when Neil Mopé raced away, by which point City had already had six shots on goal. And it's also happened three times this season where they've conceded their first two shots on goals in a game. So away at Newcastle, they were 2-0 down, the first two, 2-1 down, sorry, the first two shots that Newcastle took ended up in the back of the net. Also 2-2 with Crystal Palace, that was a particularly frustrating one. Also happened against Leipzig in the Champions League. And to be honest, I do think that they've got away with quite a few of these games and made them a bit harder than they should have been. Um, so yeah, I think that Newcastle game is a great example. There was Wolves away where they managed to lose 2-1 despite only conceding one shot on target. <laughs> the other one was an own goal. Um, the Spurs game as well, Charlie, you remember that was three shots on target conceded out of four. So it's a bit of a weird Achilles heel, but it does keep happening. And, you know, if they get off on the wrong foot in one of these big games of the season, which is left, you know, they've still got to go to Anfield, Tottenham, Brighton, you know, they, they could potentially find themselves in trouble. Yeah, Carl, does it, um, is it surprising to you that at this point in the season that both Arsenal and Liverpool are the ones that share the spoils in terms of the best defensive records? Not really. So the concerning thing about City, if you are not a Manchester City fan, is you you always have at the back of the mind they're going to go on a run. Liverpool fans have described this, Arsenal fans experienced this last season, is that you can be doing really well playing some of the best football in your life, but you know at some point in time City are just going to win 10 games in a row. And you just like, oh, 
bloody hell, this is this is annoying. Uh, I remember Sadio Mane explaining how he felt it easier being ahead of City than chasing City because um, City are just so unrelenting in what they do. You, you don't really want to play. You don't really want them to be second on a match day. But the good news, if you're not a City fan or if you, if you would like City to not get four in a row, is that this Arsenal team are very, very good. I think they've gone from being knockout specialists to submission artists this season. This Liverpool team, dominant in both penalty areas, which is, is really important, uh, while they still sort of figure out this Liverpool 2.0 in central midfield. So those two teams are always going to do well. I think the concern, worry, annoyance is that in a season where everyone knew City were going to spend some time away at the Club World Cup, Liverpool and Arsenal couldn't get a huge lead you know, now City, they've won the game in hand over Brentford and it's beginning to feel ominous. Not inevitable, but ominous. Charlie, I mean, let's flip it again. Key player, City, Rodri, and we've seen them struggle this season without that key component in their midfield. Yeah, I mean, he, what is it, four games he's missed and they've lost them all. Um, I mean, he is phenomenal. It's, it's a year since he lost a game. Um I mean, the interesting thing with the defensive numbers is that Liverpool give up a lot more chances. They've got 28 expected goals against. City have 21.8. Arsenal, 17.8. I mean, Arsenal's expected goals against is incredible, really. They, they've actually had a bit of what Tom was describing as well with the first shot on target going in habit, uh, including against Liverpool. They didn't even have a shot on target before they equalised, obviously. Again, that being an own goal. So I think there might be there must be something in that that for these teams that give up very few chances those that they do give up do seem to be quite good opportunities um like if you if you can find a way behind like um Brentford did against City it, it is hard to go against them I always compare City to Novak Djokovic in tennis there's an inevitability to them that in the same way Carl said there you can have a lead against them but you know they're going to come back if you see Djokovic has gone two sets down in a grand slam you'd still make him the favourite pretty much every time even though in theory he's got a big deficit and I was interested to see Haaland saying that uh, outside of uh, football Novak Djokovic is one of his sporting idols I thought game recognising game the, the sort of inevitability aspect um, I, yeah I think that is maybe what's a bit troubling for those who want to make this into a close title race is this sense that City remind me so much of Ferguson's United as well that the, the best teams would he always said you know as long as we're sort of in amongst it you know, come the turn of the year we'll probably be fine and I have that feeling now with City. They, they, I don't feel like they've been at their best this season. And they had that game where they lost to Villa and barely had a shot. And it was like, whoa, maybe maybe this is going to be the year. And they've won the next nine games, uh, whatever it is. And here we are. So, of course, it's not done. But, I mean, we're in, we're in early February. But I do think the, the, the fact that now if they win their game in hand against Everton... Uh, on Saturday because they play first and they had, they had two games go in hand going into this week. If they win that, that their first even games, that does feel like quite a a change in the momentum. Whereas you know it was only a week ago Liverpool had a bit of a lead and they look like maybe the team to beat. Looking ahead as well, we talk about matchups. That match against Liverpool. Manchester City at Anfield isn't a good draw for Manchester City at all. And also Arsenal, if you think about it, still have to play them again. Yes, it's at the Etihad, but Arsenal have got one over on them this season as well. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal absolutely needed to get that win. I mean, it was an astonishingly bad run that they had. Um, was it 12 consecutive defeats? Something like that in the league. I mean, unbelievable. Like no team 
City who beat everyone. They don't beat a team that regularly. It was just the worst matchup. Um, broadly, because Arsenal weren't good enough to kind of out-football City, but they'd always try, which City were just like, yes, please, keep trying that. Uh, obviously, at the Emirates, they... What was a very boring game, I think, for the neutrals, but that it was an incredibly mature performance from Arsenal in which they restricted City to next to nothing, as they did against Liverpool, which is you know a really good sign for them. So it means... They don't go into that game. You know, I think last season when, when Arsenal had a lead over City, even Arsenal fans were kind of doing the maths of, okay, well, City will get six points against us when we play them. Uh, so we need to have a kind of eight-point <laughs> lead or something like that. And, and obviously, so it proved. And, you know, with it being a five-point gap last season, if Arsenal had won one of those games, they would have won the title. I know, obviously, we don't know then what would have happened, etc. But those games were clearly key in the title race, whereas now... I think you'd still make City the favourites that the Etihad, but a bit of that fear factor must have gone for Arsenal knowing that they can beat this team. It all feels a bit exhaust pipe on the Death Star, doesn't it? If you get everything absolutely right and get it just there, you can fire a shot there and thereabouts. We we know this Manchester City team with this defensive high line and Rodri as well are slightly asterisk, 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 vulnerable to direct attacks, vulnerable to that direct counterattack, which is why Brentford, you know, have been able to do the double against them last season, which is why, you know, a goalkeeper got an assist for Morpai's goal. If you can, you know, to, to borrow some lines from John Barnes, if you can get Brown the back, you've got a shot. But you, to do that, you've got to get past one, Rodri, who in my mind is the best defensive midfielder in the world. And if you do get past him, he'll foul you anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And get away with and it. And two, three, four, is is this is this back three back four that contains Kyle Walker who's absolutely rapid and fantastic on one v one counter attack and defence and and the and this sounds so simple this Manchester City side is huge and they are to think you know watching Pep's Barcelona from two thousand nine that eventually the Manchester City team will just contain so many six foot players who are this technically capable and just able to boss you at some of the most rugged stuff makes it so difficult. Arsenal's adventures at the Etihad have been particularly interesting. One thing I thought was really curious last season was how uh, Arteta used the FA Cup game. He, he basically used it as a scouting mission, you know, played Sambi Lokonga in central midfield um, and, and sort of gave him a run to see how he'd react and then more or less thought this person isn't going to be having the future at Arsenal that some might think and he might be able to move on online. And so you're hoping, you know, Deccan Rice and this new Rice-Jorginho pivot would be better at the Etihad. But it, it says a lot that, you know, we're, we're talking about all these games in the future, you know, potential title decisions at the Etihad. No one's mentioned the Manchester derby, you know, <laughs> which hurts me just a little bit. <laughs> just, just tells you how less potent that is in the world of football. Sorry, Carl. Uh, the other teams do exist as well. But, Tom, let, let's. Carl's kind of talked about previous Pep Guardiola teams, and actually, let's let's talk about this current iteration of Manchester City um, compared to previous Manchester City teams that he's managed and coached. I mean, everyone thinks of the hundred-point season for sure. Um, what's the main difference? Yeah, I mean, we have been talking a lot about the defensive numbers, but you do have to mention it because you know they're conceding over a goal a game this season, which they haven't really done in the last seven, eight years. Um, they're already approaching actually uh, the twenty-five goals they conceded in the ninety-eight point season when uh, when they won a league that in eighteen nineteen. So, yeah, a bit more defensively porous, but 
also, uh, obviously, we, we spoke about it at the start of the season as well. I think there's a bit of a mini transition in terms of play style. Had a few kind of players, as in you know Doku and and Nunes, who's not played as often as I think we were expecting. But that kind of ability to dribble um, through kind of a man-to-man marking system, which a lot more teams are trying against uh, Pep Guardiola's City now, starting with Arsenal in that FA Cup game you just mentioned, Carl. So there are a few different challenges for Guardiola that he's had to overcome this season. And, and I think as well, I mean, that, that Brentford game was also a really good example of just the sheer number of different patterns you now see in, in a Pep Guardiola team. You didn't, obviously, he's a very intricate manager when it comes to planning games tactically, but the, there were so many different shapes with Guardiola. Uh, Guardiola was kind of touchline hugging at one point, then he was charging into the box the next. Walker was holding the whiff, and then all the players were kind of swapping around. It was really, really fluid in a way that we've not really seen too much under Guardiola. So. I think he's relishing the challenge, to be honest. Um, I think he he likes it when, you know, he's got a bit of competition. And yeah, so a bit more experimental perhaps, but yeah, that, that kind of defensive frailty is probably a result of having to change things around ever so slightly um, as A, players are injured and B, the Premier League changes around him. I think the frustrating thing, if you're not City, again, sounds simple, just how good Pep Guardiola is at, at- Ad- adapting things you know, in lockdown seasons City seemed potentially vulnerable and then it got to January and, and Guardiola simply figured out how to adjust the locked door f- you know football behind closed doors quicker than everyone else just relax the press a little bit understanding that there's there's a decrease in training time so less less structured shapes and and just slower pace go for it and, and then they sort of just ran away with the league that season um, and this is what you've seen at the start of this season there was, there was conversation about whether Manchester City met miss Gundogan, miss his ability to seamlessly switch from being a sort of auxiliary number six to being a box-to-box midfielder to potentially being a number 10. And he sorted it now. Um, Phil Foden, uh, there's a fantastic piece on The Athlete right now on how Phil Foden's going to be essential to how City break down low blocks. So it's not just that they've got an obscene amount of wealth. It's not just that they've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's arguably the best player in the Premier League for the last five, ten years. It's not just that they've got a T1000 in Erlen Haaland who scored 52 goals last season and now he's back to fit fitness. It's not just that they've got arguably the the smartest manager uh, in the Premier League, if not one of the smartest managers of all time. But you put it all together into this intoxicating mix and yeah, I can imagine it could be quite distressing to be someone else thinking, oh, we've beat, we've, we've won our early kickoff and you switch on your phone at 3pm and like, oh, they're, they're a goal up in 35 seconds. Brilliant. If you were sort of Clutching at straws. One thing you might say, I, I do remember this at the time, after they lost that game to Villa, there was a thing mm-hmm. that then in the subsequent uh, three months, they were going to play one team in the top half, um, depending mm-hmm. on whether Chelsea are in on or out of the top half. They're currently out. So there was always the sense that, okay, those are... And look, no easy game in the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. One of, one of City's great skills is being able to put away teams generally they should be, as Carl says, often pretty early in games but so you you know you could say well you know let's not get too terrified they're they're beating teams we'd expect to beat they are going to have a harder run of games and yet the the Manchester derby uh kicks things off on on the 3rd of March then they go to Liverpool then they go to Brighton then they host Arsenal then Aston Villa that's a tough run of five there is an international break in between and there'll be Champions League games I mean City are so good at navigating a busy schedule there may well be an FA Cup quarter in there as well but I think that 
those five games is is going to be really key. If they come through that with a you know still you know if they if they have a decent lead, then that could break the back of of the competition. Tom, you know this this game at Anfield going to Liverpool, and it's been a bit of a thorn in the side of Manchester City for for years. Do you know why? Yeah, I mean, the only time City have beaten Liverpool was at Anfield in the Pep Guardiola era was behind closed doors um, when the fans weren't there. And then before that, you have to go back to, I think, 2003, was it? Uh, Sean Goater, I think, scored the winner. So a long, long time. Um, yeah, I mean, I was actually in the away end when uh, we lost 4-3 and Salah scored from a halfway line. And that kind of typified those games where City have control and then... They seem to just give up these chances, which on any other day wouldn't go in. But Edison's 30 yards out of his box. Mane kind of scored one where he's falling over a little bit right into the top corner. And yeah, City just can't seem to put away their chances in, in these games at Anfield. So these things happen. You know, there are places where you just you have a bogey team, you can't get over it. But yeah, this is going to be a massive one because Liverpool are going to be probably right on their tails. And it's going to be... Obviously, an emotional day with Jurgen Klopp. His last, one of his last big games at the club. I think it's going to be in a particularly big atmosphere. Should, should say as well that you know mo- most teams struggle at Anfield. It's not like a kind of bogey ground where we're saying why does it keep losing to Burnley? You know, <laughs> Liverpool haven't won at Anfield in the league since 2012. United, without wanting to go into too much detail, have had some pretty sticky visits to Anfield in recent years. Um, so you know, but but of course, it, it's kind of like it does feel at times like the final frontier for um, for Pep. You know, beat, beating Liverpool at Anfield with a full a full crowd. I mean, they love it, don't they? They 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 love that rivalry, um, the Liverpool fans, and that yeah, that game does look look so key. I mean, Liverpool getting the draw earlier in the season was massive as well. Um, you know, mm. maybe it was weird because at that time we weren't yet sure really where Liverpool were exactly whether because last season was such a weird one for them. You know, didn't even get top four. Um, but they have kicked on well since that game as well, and 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 looked like. You know, proper title challenges City like they used to be like we got so used to it being those two teams and then there's obviously Arsenal who just trying to hold on to their role from last season as being City's biggest challenges This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something would be incredibly important to whoever, whoever wins the league would be squad depth fundamentally. And, you know, historically people talk about City having a great fair bit of squad depth. But Charlie, who do you think has the greater squad depth out of, if we say this is a three horse race, Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool? I think City are really interesting what they've done uh, regards squad depth in the last few years of having a smaller squad, but one of about sort of 16, 17 but all of those players are so good that you don't 
sort of lose a huge amount in rotating them. And that's kind of what Arsenal tried to do this summer with their signings. And obviously they then lost Partey and Timber for basically the whole season. And I do think that's made a big difference for them because it's meant they haven't been able to rotate uh, in quite the same way. And that may cost them later on in the season. I I think it's tricky because I think if those players, I mean, I I think with Timber we should kind of see anything this season as a bonus given he's coming back from an ACL. And Partey Mm -hmm. is just such a hard one because... So he keeps having these setbacks and he is so important for them. I think because he's out, he's been out all season. It's kind of, you, you kind of forget about players who are out all season, but he's massive if he comes back. That makes such a difference to what they can do depth wise, because especially now they've got Jorginho sort of as, as, as such a trusted option. I think he's been so much better than a lot of people were expecting. Um, and, I, and I think it does really shift things for, for Arsenal depth wise. If, if Partey's there, then maybe they can view Havertz as more of a forward because they can play Partey as the six, Rice as the left eight. Then all of a sudden you've got Havertz and Trossard as rotational options with Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. That sounds really good to me. Whereas currently just having Trossard as a rotational option feels like they're really light because in their ideal team Havertz is uh, is dropping back. So I do think that would change things a lot for them. I still think City do have that greater depth. I mean, I looked at their, you know, their bench the other day and, you know, Stones, Akanji, Rico Lewis, Kovacic, Grealish, Doku, Nunes, Oscar Bob. That is a stacked bench. Uh, Level fans often said one of the annoying things about being in a tight race with City is it, when it comes to t- towards the end of the season, a player emerges that you've forgotten about for so long. And you're, oh yeah, I forgot. They've had that guy on the bench for ages. You know, and sometimes that player is Bernardo Silva. Sometimes that player is Phil Foden. And you just listing City's bench there. I f- I f- you know, Oscar Bob could, could be the one, you know, I forgot Kovacic has gone to Manchester City and, and he's so good at press resistant dribbling in, in central areas. Nunes has barely played. He could be that guy. Right. There's, there's always, there's always a hidden player, uh, to like, get you in between the ribs. But I'd also say Liverpool now have have this depth in that there is going to be a good Cody Gakpo game between now and the end of the season. I think Ryan Gravenberg, his defensive contributions can be a bit lacking for Premier League speed, but he is, in my opinion, what he can offer in the final third can be very, very, very good. So those are two players that can offer a lot. I'm, I think Conor Bradley's fantastic and what he can offer at right back is good. From a City perspective, you're looking at that bench thinking, wow, um, this could be interesting. Oscar Bob, we've already seen what he can do in front of goal, composed. They've unearthed another one. Yeah, I mean, I think the key distinction with City is the academy, to be honest, because this project under, you know, in the Guardiola era is now so established that any player who really is deemed good enough to get anywhere near the first team from the academy is practically a ready-made Guardiola player already because that's how they're brought up, that's how they play through the youth teams. You know, if you look at last season, for example, Rico Lewis just came in quite a demanding part of the season and kind of played a hybrid fullback central midfield role and looked absolutely comfortable with that. Oscar Bob as well, as we mentioned. I mean, even Micah Hamilton played in the Champions League against um, Red Star Belgrade and looked absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I think sometimes City squad can look weak on paper because there aren't big names in every position. Because as Charlie said, Guardiola likes to slim the squad down a little bit. Sometimes there are players who, you know, we don't really recognise. But, yeah, in attacking areas, they're so well stocked. Defensively, we've got more centre-backs than we know what to do with, to be honest. And two of those in Guardiola and Ake can play at full-back. 
it's only really Rodri who is, you know, just because he's so ludicrously better than anyone else in that specific position. I think he's the big one where if he's not in the team, that's where there are problems. And yeah, in that regard, I kind of think City have the best depth, but they also have the biggest weakness. It's a curious one because this has been a holdover again since Guardiola's been, you know, his, his Barcelona teams tended to have a kind of small squad supplemented by academy players. I think this is outside looking in. I get the sense that he does this because he wants to have most contact. He wants to have the most contact time with his players on training. So if you have 25 plus players, you're not being able to give that one-to-one assistance uh, as he might do with his slightly limited squad. And also when you do have those academy players that have been educated in everything he wants for the past five, six years, it, it, you don't need the fifth choice centre-back because you've got someone that knows everything day dot. One thing that stands out with Oscar Bob is the away he just knocks the ball between his heels and carries it. I'm like, yeah, I, I can tell you've had Guardiola coaches with you for years because Iniesta loved doing a croqueta. Xavi Hernandez loved doing a croqueta. Messi used it all the time. I, it's annoying how good they are. You know, I, I know the title of this podcast is going to be, is there, you know, name the reasons why City aren't going to win four in a row. And, and there's two reasons we have is one, no one's done it before, really. So we're going to say it's not happened until it happens. And two, because loads of people don't want it to. And sometimes the football gods answer that prayer. Often they don't know, unfortunately. I mean, just... <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to jump in and say, no, they don't. They, they don't care. <laughs> and and just with, I do think with the squad thing, yeah, Rod, Rod, not having a deputy for Rodri is maybe an issue, but I think even looking at the starting teams or starting and a bit beyond, Liverpool have a more clear weakness in that I don't think their midfield is that great uh, and certainly not at the level mm-hmm. that it's been at before you know I looked at their midfield I know they had injuries but you looked at their midfield at the Emirates on Sunday and you thought you thought back to that Fabinho Vinaldum, Henderson trio that was just so good and so strong and you know to, for them to have kind of muddled along without a really good six this season has been amazing and Arsenal have had this issue with creating chances from open play and what have you um, and you know this kind of talk about whether they need a number nine or not I don't see that in City in the same way. I don't see what what what's their weakness as such. I don't feel like they really have one, or certainly not an obvious one. Yeah, let's move on to Arsenal. Really, I guess they're the outliers here. You know, Liverpool have won the league recently. Manchester you just keep winning the league. Arsenal, no league title since two thousand and four. Um, can they buck that trend this season, Carl? Um, defensively, look incredibly sound. Mikel Arteta's clearly worked on that since last season. But do you get that feeling, even without a super number nine, that there's a chance in them there's a chance in it for them this season? That pause you just did there, that ah I think you know what you're saying. It's, it's like someone doing a lie detector test and looking to the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean I think the great thing Arteta's done in the summer was He's looked at his squad and said, okay, we we were maybe ahead of schedule in being in a tighter race last season. How do we make sure our squad is going to be top four quality between now and the end of my contract or however? And I look at this Arsenal team and like I said before, they're not knocking people out anymore, but they are making people tap out. They're learning this sort of attritional football that so many title teams have won. Gary Neville last season was very eloquent in when he said he he believed Arsenal would find a way to not win the league even when they had had this large lead at the top of the table because the emotions get the better of you. Uh, and this Arsenal team now seems a little bit more streetwise. 
I think Arsenal win a Premier League title eventually under Mikel Arteta. I don't think it's going to be this season because they've got more to go. There's There are ways they will improve. If Yuri and Timber was fully fit all season, then we can start talking. If if they get a Partey successor, then we can really start talking. I think Partey's now reached this um, status where he's more of a theoretical football player than an actual football player. I, I don't think when you're injured enough for that long, you can guarantee you come back in the same way. So get those two things nailed down. You know, Timber comes back, we get a look at him, we see how well he's recovered from the ACL injury and they get a player who is younger and as good as Thomas Partey. They're out there. One of them plays in Spain and is fantastic. Uh, If they can sort those things out, then they can start thinking about a title challenge, a successful title challenge in the seasons to come. But this one, not sure. Not sure. Charlie, I mean, you you saw how Mikel Arteta celebrated um, beating Liverpool at the Emirates. And many fans would look at that and say, look, we've beaten top of the league convincingly. Surely there's got to be a shout in there for, for for this young team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're 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 definitely in it. Um, there is some. Yeah, I think because last season they were top for so long and you know had that big lead and then didn't win it. That's always going to count against them in in the kind of perception stakes and the fact that it's as you say it's been twenty years uh, since they did win the league. It's so interesting what they've done this season because they have or Arteta has tried to dial down some of the kind of emotion, how frenzied it felt last season at times, which made it thrilling, but ultimately wasn't sustainable. I think what they're doing this season is a lot more sustainable. And actually, (laughs) were it not for sort of some fairly freaky goals and what have you, they would have conceded far fewer goals. You know, they've conceded a lot more uh, than they should have done, according to you know the quality of chances they've given away, twenty-two goals against from that seventeen point eight xG. Um, you know they've they've blooded a new goalkeeper, and that's changed how things are playing. So I think his hope is that things will settle down a little bit. And whereas last season they they started strongly and tailed off, the hope is that they've kind of managed that first part of the season a bit better, uh, and they can finish more strongly. That said, I think there is still a perception around them. You know, they go away to West Ham on Sunday. I don't think it would massively surprise anyone if they drop points, you know, off the back of that kind of huge win. And I'm not at all suggesting that's because they over-celebrated or anything like that. I just mean, I think that's still the perception around them, correctly or otherwise, that they have these kind of drop points in them. The centre-forward thing is a little bit of a red herring. To me, it's more can Gabriel Jesus stay fit. I think Gabriel Jesus is unbelievably underrated because he doesn't do the things that we, certainly in this country, believe a number nine should do, and that's score goals regularly. And look, I get he's he's not a great finisher. He's brilliant at everything else. Um, and, you know, he, he gets... He doesn't not score any goals. You know, he, he. I think last season it was something like in the league, 11 from 26 appearances, something like that. That's not dreadful. It's not prolific. But when you're doing so much else like he does, like he is crucial for this team. When they went top start of last season, one twelve, drew one of their first 14 games. He was the best player in that team by a distance, a team that were comfortably top of the league. So I think it's as much right now anyway, well, clearly to the end of the season, can he stay fit rather than can they bring in this kind of unicorn number nine who does all of that and also scores 30 goals a season? Like, If you can find this player, great. I'm sure Arteta will be all ears. There aren't many of them around. Tom, can I ask a question? One thing, you know, many coaches have talked about is is the disease of more um, and how you sort of 
keep the momentum after you've won all these titles. So one thing we heard a lot is this is a City side. They've won three in a row. They've won the treble. In that early start where it looked like City had a wobble, out you're hearing things like the fire's gone out. Some of these players will find it hard to motivate themselves after they've they've won everything, essentially. How do you think Guardiola's addressed this to, to push on for this unprecedented four in a row? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it before, but I just think Pep is kind of more motivated by reinvention and finding solutions mm-hmm. and just being different and the challenge of adapting his team kind of a little bit more than he is winning things. It feels like that's what drives him on. <laughs> so I think for Pep, you know, the the desire and the motivation is always going to be there. And we've seen, you know, we've seen him on the touchline. We've seen videos in training. He is so effusive as, as a coach that it's impossible not to feel that as well. So I, I think it must be something to do with that. You know, you, you look at the respect that he has from from all of his players, you know, many of whom have got a lot better under him. Yeah, they're going to want to keep winning because Pep really, really wants to keep winning. That's what that's what it seems to me from, from looking from the outside in. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. I will leave the club at the end of the season. I, I love absolutely everything about this club. I love everything about this Let's city. not forget Klopp's final season. You know, the, the, the last dance, some have called it, you know. Uh, Carl, if you'd need a motivating factor, Salah potentially might not be there next season. There's conversations around Van Dijk potentially not being the next season. Um, the guy that brought you into the club, this could be a wonderful sign-off, surely. Yes. Dot, 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 dot. Do you remember what happened in Wenger's last season at Arsenal? I know we all spent the first stages of lockdown watching the last dance and we all got a heightened awareness of how cool it is for players to win trophies in their final seasons. And we've just come off Messi winning the World Cup for Argentina, despite the fact that Messi still wants to play for Argentina. But just because it's someone's final season doesn't necessarily 
put a rocket up everyone and, and they, they're going to play better. As we've seen on more than one occasion, this, this early announcement can sometimes backfire. I mean, I'm looking, I've got one eyeball over at Barcelona right now going, hmm, Xavi saying he's going to leave at the end of the season. Doesn't seem to be going well either. I think Jurgen Klopp, the things Jurgen Klopp is very, very good at, you know, tactically incredibly astute. You know, when this is all said and done, Jurgen Klopp's going to go down as Pep Guardiola's greatest adversary, much to the annoyance of Jose Mourinho. Um, and I think the way Klopp is good at channeling emotion to get an extra 5 10% out of players that perhaps wouldn't think they were on the same level as Manchester City's players will be useful. It would be nice for a lot of people if Jurgen Klopp won a big trophy in his final season at Liverpool. Uh, I'm talking to you as a Manchester United fan and reporter, so you can hear the pain in my voice as I say that. Uh, I, I just think it, it's no it's no necessary guarantee that you know Salah gets five percent extra and then finishes the season with thirty goals. Can I say I as well? It's so interesting how we talk about emotion and how much that's informed by perception and by results as well. Because you know you've got a few days saying ago people saying Arteta and Arsenal were too emotional but then we're also saying in the next breath emotion could power Liverpool to the title so it's very it's weird mm-hmm. you know it's it's such which makes me think it's all complete nonsense basically because it's just <laughs> what, what do we want to happen what do we think will happen and then we're kind of retrofitting this emotional <laughs> interpretation onto that I mean you're completely correct completely correct so much of this is only true after it's already happened. There's just a level of Completely. sports narrative that is 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 just prophecy. Prophecy in like the good and we bad talk ways. about Klopp's emotion being such a great thing because he's won big titles. And so we can kind of, yeah, we, we apply that retrospectively. Charlie, just a very quick quick one. Spurs maybe? I mean, fifth in the league at this moment in time. What is it? Seven points from the top? Can they do it? This madness of football that we've seen this season? I mean, the thing that's encouraging for them, the big thing that's encouraging for them is that they're only seven points off and they've had all these kind of injuries and suspensions and unavailability issues. And now all of a sudden, Son and Basuma are back from um, AFCON and the Asian Cup. And you, I mean, so they may be available for the game against Brighton on Saturday. And yeah, their unavailability crisis is easing massively. Uh, so, you know, the idea goes if they were that good, you know, or if they hung on in there and got some good results without all these good players, how good are they going to be now with a full squad? Which has some logic to it. Um, I think there are a lot of teams that, you know, to, to overhaul all of those teams above them would take some doing. They'd have to be close to perfect from here on in. And I just feel they've been brilliant this season and and so massively exceeded expectations, but I think there just will be more days in amongst all the great stuff like Saturdays against Everton where it doesn't quite come off for them. Like, the league is so hard and that's that's what everyone who goes up against City realises is that like, I mean, even if you're superhuman like Liverpool and you get those ludicrous points tallies in the 90s, twice they didn't win it even doing that. And I don't think City will necessarily get to there this season, but you've really got to be so good. And I think I'm not sure they're quite ready um, for that. Let's end it there, Jets. I really appreciate your time, Tom, Carl, Charlie, and also make sure you rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. We're back tomorrow. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Guy Clark, Mike Stavrou, and Jay Beal. The executive producer was Aidy Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places. 
The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.